going to go ahead and get started then tonight. Like I said, obviously, got a bunch of people out tonight, which is which is good because tonight's going to be a little different. Tonight's going to be more more low key and just more low key to teach some things. Isaiah, I said low key. Um, and we're going to be in Romans. We're going to be in Romans 4 again. Got some people out tonight, but it's good. It's gonna be, like I said, I feel tonight needs to be a little more low key. And we're gonna be really teaching some things, just as it relates to kind of where we're at. Um, not gonna get loud or anything, and it might not be very long. I really want to send people home with this, and even those listening to it, kind of allow them to get kind of plugged in a little bit to listen and. Um, Really pay attention. So, a few announcements and a little bit of recap, and then we're going to jump straight into it. So, obviously, the last two weekends, we didn't meet. Last week for Isaiah's birthday, which we didn't just call off as, off the meeting for Isaiah's birthday. We actually specifically planned it on a Saturday for my spiritual father to be able to come down. I don't like to cancel these when we are going to be meeting or anything, and I don't, I don't create the schedule around my schedule i don't do that but so the only reason we did it on a saturday instead of a sunday was because of like i said for my spiritual father buddy you gotta go to mommy okay and then the week before that we were in virginia this is mainly for people listening on podcasts we were obviously i went up there to virginia to jump into a revival meeting with preacher timothy um Really, I was just going up there just to lay on the floor. And he comes to me in the meeting and says, hey, during worship, he says, hey, can you help me? I says, sure. What do you, I mean, you, you want to lay hands on people? Pray for me? Yeah, I'll help you. So he's going to get up there and say, all right, everybody, um, we're going to go and get started. What we're going to do is we're going to have Preacher Adam come up with me, and he's going to teach all about the reality of realms and dimensions and the kingdom and all that stuff. And I was like... That's what you want to help for. That's good. So we jumped into some of that when I was up there. and But then coming back, my transmission went out in my truck, which his went out as well the same exact time when I was up there. And his truck is the same year, make, and model as mine. So we have the exact same truck, different color. My transmission goes out and his transmission goes out at within like 12 hours apart from each other. And... The Lord actually had spoke to me concerning it and to him concerning it of a prophetic word. And we were talking together about it because, I mean, we just went ahead and stayed the night. Ellie was on her way up there because what we were going to have is Ellie was coming to pick me up for us to make it back in time for the meeting. But there was no way while we were looking at GPS, literally, as she's on her way up there, the time kept changing and getting pushed out randomly. And there was no way that we were going to be able to get back in time from, from Virginia after she picked me up. So that, that's why we had to cancel it. Uh, did not want to at all. But um, yeah, the Lord spoke to both of us about a, which ties into a little bit of these announcements. 
more of a prophetic word concerning the our trucks going out, which was, and like I said, it, he, the Lord spoke to us individually about it, and then when we were talking about it, was that, you know, the primary function of a transmission is to shift gears, to allow for, for to, to allow for torque and all that stuff. Um, but the Lord began to talk to me that, that another shift was coming specifically for Canaan land. And the reason I want to talk about it is, and the reason I'm going to talk about some stuff tonight is because we do have some people out tonight that are going to go back and listen to this, but that another shift was coming for Canaan land and the shift was going to cost, it was going to be a costly shift. And I mean, I told, I told Brother Timothy, I said, I mean, you, you could have just received that from the Lord and just told me, and I had to come up here to your area. Hey, bro, talking about you right now. Yeah. About coming up to your area and your region and my transmission going out because Lord's telling us that a new shift is coming and all this stuff. Yeah. It was, it was great. You know, Jesus could have just told you and you tell me or just told he could have told me about yours. Exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> um, yours went out like a few hours before mine. So um, I wish you would have been a little more, you know, ear to hear I'm the trying, Lord. I'm trying to flow. <laughs> so I didn't have to go through that. But um, but no, that another shift was coming. So that's why we canceled two weeks ago. And then continuing with the announcements. Like I said, we got a bunch of people out tonight um, that are going to go back and listen to this that let us know they had stuff going on, family stuff, all that. Totally fine. But... We are most likely moving forward with transitioning these meetings from here to a building. We, we've, we're in talks right now about a specific building with the real estate agent who represents the landlord and all. We're still negotiating talks to them, but everything's about, we're about 80% there. Um, I don't, I don't want to say, hey guys, we're, we're moving into a building and then, you know, he says something stupid and makes him mad at me tell him no. Because that, that can very possibly happen. So like I said, we're about 80% there. But we're, we found it's, it's, it's like seven minutes from here, right near downtown. A lot more room for, obviously for Sanctuary Park. There's room there for us to be able to um, continue, you know, the way we eat after the meetings and all that. There's an actual room that the kids will be able to have just to make it a little more accessible for people to come. So, like I said, we're about 80% there. It, it it may be as soon as August that we're in there. Like I said, there's just some few details that we're ironing out with the lease term and all, and all of that. And we'll talk more about that later. We'll talk more about that later. But I, I want to... I want to make sure to guard what we have here. Even though there's only a few of us, I've never, I've never, and I've been in a lot of different churches, in a lot of different meetings, a lot. I've never seen, I'm not saying it's not out there. I'm sure it is some, as well, I'm not the only ones, but I've never seen the authenticity and genuineness of what the Lord has given us here, even with just a handful. I've never seen a group of people that will literally sit in somebody's living room for hours listening and then 
even being a place of openness to be able in somebody's living room to to be open with the Lord, have encounters, lay on the floor, and then God move in and, and, and all that. And then even after that, to sit for another two, three, sometimes four hours after that, eating and just fellowshipping and won't hang out. I've never seen that. And it's a real, it's really important. And I and I don't put a lot of, I haven't talked a lot about that because it's, it's very new to me as well. I've never, I've never seen that before. But that's, I'm learning that's a part of our culture that us moving into a building, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about it right now. Us moving into a building, understand the intention is not the intention is not to grow solely numerically. It's like that's not that's not my heart to have a giant, a whole bunch of people packed out. And that's not that's not this at all. And those that know me obviously know that. The more the intention, some of the intention of this is mainly to just create space for those that are here to just from a, from a physical aspect, to have more space to move during meetings, to be able to find more space on the floor, seven encounters, all that, and to have more space for, for a designated kids area. That just makes it easier for, for parents with kids to come and all of that, so they're not you know, worried about all of that and everything, like, like, like we've talked about and stuff. That's the intention of this. It's not to get a bunch of people in a building. But it's, it's to make room for expansion as well. The Lord has been talking about some things concerning expansion for us. And this, us moving into a building, is a part of that. Of to take this, this Petri dish size sample of a culture that God's given us here. That's very new than what's around here in a lot of areas. Like, like I've talked about, just the dynamic of these meetings are very different than other churches here. Not right or wrong, not better, not worse, just different. But what I feel now is the Lord transitioning and shifting it, and it's, and it's a costly move. But to take this Petri-sized sample dish that he has grown of a culture to allow it to expand and the leaven of that to continue on a, on a next step, greater level, to even impact the culture around us. Does that make sense? So that's our intention in, in moving forward with this. But we're very close to, to moving in, into that building. Like I said, I, we've been talking to, I've, I've looked at multiple buildings, I've talked to a bunch of different landlords and everything. I haven't said a whole bunch openly in public and on podcasts and all that, because I don't want to be like, hey, we're, about, we're moving to a building, guys, and then it falls through and they be like, Never mind. Okay, we're about moving to a building. I'm not doing that. Like I said, we're not fully there with it. I mean, as I said, this the landlord or the real estate agent could say something stupid that I don't like, or that I take the wrong way, and I tell him, "You take this building and shut it." Which he hasn't said anything stupid yet. So, but that's where we're at. And we're going to be talking about that more later. The podcasts. I want to update about that. We have the ones I believe from April that were just released, we had about four different meetings that have to be split up in two segments. So we got like six podcasts that are waiting to be released. Some of that was the fault of our, um, 
our editing people that were just a couple, not like major fault. They're just a couple days behind, but they've got those released. They've got everything taken care of on some of those that are released. The rest, the delay is because some of the format, we're just trying to change some of the audio format to make it be able to be published through the different publishing sites and everything. So a lot of technical stuff that I don't know much about that I, I, I just tell them y'all fix this or tell me what to do to help fix this. And apparently it's being fixed, but it's just going to take a little time. So that's where we're at. And that's where the delay is on that. It's not like we're like trying to keep that from anybody. You're like, we're like, oh, this is secret revelation from the Lord that we can't release. It's it's nothing like it's truly just technological errors right now. And probably mostly on my part. But to jump into this tonight, like I said, tonight, I'm excited for this to be low key teaching and just having a conversation about some of this. I'm really excited about this and to to send everybody home with this. But to recap from our last meeting on July 11th, we talked about finding wholeness and home out of Galatians 3 and Galatians 4. And we talked about the, the heir, how the Bible says that the heir differed nothing than a servant, but his master and lord over all. But is under the guardian of steward of, of under the, the steward of guardians and stewards until the time appointed of the father. And we, we talked a lot about that of the place of maturity is a place the scripture tells us that the heir has to get in, has to grow into a place of maturity to be able to receive what is rightfully by birth his, his inheritance. And the scripture helps identify what maturity is, which the scripture connects it to wholeness. So maturity is wholeness in the scripture. And the way we get to maturity and wholeness, the Bible tells us, is by the revelation of righteousness. That growing in, not growing in righteousness, but growing in the revelation of righteousness positions us and grows us into a place of maturity and a a place of internal complete wholeness from what the Bible says. So we talked about that and and also the, the function of guardians and stewards, as it relates to home, that all of this happens, the process of all this, the, the path of discovery of, of moving into maturity, all of that is, is a place, is contained and conceived at a place called home. And God does all of this process of discovery, of revelation of righteousness, of wholeness, of, of all of this for the heir. The intention is for the heir to move into a place to receive the inheritance. He does this through spiritual fathers. So we talked about about that the last time we met on, met on June 11th, and that podcast will be released soon. Tonight, what I what I want to talk about about is, and like I said, we'll be in Romans four. I want to talk about the imputation of righteousness. Now, and before I jump into this, I'm going to say that, and even people listening to this that aren't here tonight, I want all of us to be familiarizing ourselves with Galatians chapters 3, 4, and 5, and Romans chapters 4, 5, and 6. So Galatians 3, 4, 5, and Romans chapters 4, 5, and 6. I think it's very important for the fullness and the manifestation of the fruit of this to be seen in our lives is more than just a couple times a month us 
meeting together and we hear it. There needs to be a place of engagement personally with you and the Lord in your own time. So, and I want everybody reading just just in your in your own time with the Lord throughout the week, reading Galatians chapters four, five, three, four, and five, and Romans chapters three, five, and six. It'll really help solidify some of this and give us a a a strong foundation of understanding, so that when we gather and we teach some of this. It's able the the teaching is able to pull on some of the the foundation that's been infused through your own time of devotion, and I will say um, as it relates to our, uh, of getting a building, when we get a building, um, and if we move forward to this and we get a building, we will meet more frequently. I don't want to I don't I don't want to move backwards. Of, of, of where we're at right now in this, but I do feel to say, and we're going to talk about it more later, but if we get a building, I do feel that we will be meeting more frequently. I don't want people to hear that as a burden or a demand. There is a demand. A, a, what I mean by that is a responsibility of everybody that is a part of this in the petri size dish of the culture that God's given us. Everybody a part of it has a responsibility as we move in there. But, and we're going to, we'll, we will get into this a lot later because I feel to really get into that later um, and teach on that. But even responsibility is not as we see it in the kingdom. Responsibility is not a demand for you to do something. The word responsibility literally means the ability to respond. So responsibility at that point isn't I have to do this. Responsibility is God's given me the ability to respond to what he's doing. Does that make sense? So this moving into a building is not like my idea. Y'all know that. It's not like my dream at all. And I don't believe we're going to be in a building very long. I'm not saying we're going to be in a building forever. There's stuff down the road of that we've talked about for the infrastructure of this. We're not, I don't believe we're going to be in a building for, you know, three, four, five, six years. I don't believe that. Now, I'm not talking about even this specific building. I'm talking about a building of going to a church building. I don't believe we're going to be there long term. This is more just the next step in the greater picture of where of, of what God's dream is for Canaan land. But there is a, res, a greater responsibility that comes when God does something. And it's the, uh, it's, he's given us the grace to re, for the ability to respond to what he's doing. So we are going to be meeting more frequently. There's going to be things that in some ways do inconvenience, inconvenience us. I mean, to be honest, it, it even trend, I mean, I, and we're all in this together. It's, it's a convenience to me now because the majority of the, the majority of this building monthly rent is come me and Ellie are paying for it's a good chunk and and we're even stepping into a new place of faith and trust and everything for the Lord to provide for that but there is going to be a we're going to be meeting more frequently there's going to be opportunity that is presented for us to to follow the Lord in this path of expansion even reaching the community all sorts of things these opportunities that God is giving us 
demands a response. Even before we go any further, I want to make sure that even people listening that that we that you understand what I'm saying. When I, I'm not saying, hey, we're about to get a building and it's going to be all in the people and y'all got to freaking do this. That's not what I'm saying. What I and I because that's how people hear it and they see it from an old lens. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is God is giving us something and is also giving us grace, which grace is divine capability. He's giving us the ability to respond even to this building and the opportunities that he is giving us as a result of this step into this new area will demand even a response, the ability of us to respond to those opportunities. Does that make sense? Um, so we will be we'll, we will be meeting more frequently. It'll be more for for a time. We'll be meeting more frequently for for a time. I don't I don't force like I said. I personally don't foresee, and I could be wrong, but I I don't foresee us being in a building forever. That's just that's not. I foresee this being mainly as a as as a next step into receiving more spiritual sons and daughters and for the spiritual sons and daughters that are here to get more established so that we can send them in whatever area and, and whether it be business, whether it be, you know, staying home mothers or father, what, 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 you know, starting, what, whatever area they're supposed to be seated in us following the Lord and seating them there. And some will be, you know, themselves leading and, and teaching houses of, of, of different sorts and different, you know, they'll be overseeing churches, stuff like that. And what, what I will be doing is mainly stepping back and not having a building, mainly stepping back as we send those and then having a place really on mine where, where you know, me and Ellie buy, build a house, whatever, on our land, having a place there for a once a month gathering of the, the sons and daughters of their houses to come. So that's kind of the long-term picture, but getting a, a building and having more frequent meetings is not my strategic idea. But it's it seems as if that's the next step for the from, from the Lord. There's just going to be some adjustments. I'm just going to show some of this is changing. But what we have to do is those that are a part of this understand you are part of the culture here. And this culture that we have is a pattern of the kingdom. This culture is a culture of the kingdom. This is nothing that we created. Like even on a practical level of even us eating after the meetings, those that want to stay, and it's never any pressure. If you don't want to stay, that's totally fine. But that even came as a consequence of me not saying, hey, I want everybody to stay and eat because I'm, I'm not that type. I'm not that type to sit around and, and just talk to people. I don't like that. But I noticed after the meetings, people were just here. And I thought, well, I mean, I'm hungry. I bet they're hungry. So it started, you know, with the pizzas. I'll go grab some pizzas. Then it Ellie, you know, was like, we can't eat pizza all the time. And I was like, I rebuke that. That's not of God. <laughs> I'm joking. And so now she's taking over that. And we're speaking of that, just before we jump into this, and it shouldn't be crazy long night. Tonight we're having a, a taco bar. Okay. I'm glad everybody else is in agreement because I was not. Me and Ellie fought over this. Okay. But, yeah, we she we. No, I didn't go for this. Yes. And when she told me, I was like, "No, we are not." And we fought, and I lost. 
And she said, you put me in charge over this. I said, yeah, but I oversee it. <laughs> and I did win. I did tell her. She tried to get some re- refried beans. Not in this house. No, ma'am, not in this house. <laughs> I said, that will not happen. Because that looks like and smells like dog vomit. I don't understand how people eat refried beans. It, it's not refried Isabel beans. <laughs> Isaiah likes them too. Yeah. Eat refried beans literally look like dog <laughs> eats their dog food and then vomits it. Or looks Stop. like a toddler's Stop. diarrhea. Yeah, I want to destroy any by any likings of refried beans. Even people listening to this, that every time you eat it, you hear these exactly. words. Um, so no refried beans, but there's other stuff. In, in, anyways, that's we got to stay on the top, on the top of the time. But there's going to be some some cool stuff. It is demanding as it relates to, like I said, the opportunity God's giving us, and we have to respond to it. But there's going to be some some cool stuff. I, I'm I've been dreaming with the Lord a little bit, just kind of on some things and just some. It's it's gonna it's gonna be a cool time. But like I said, we've just got to be intentional about being responding accordingly and keeping the culture that we have. Because when other people come into this, because there will be other people that 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 God joins to us as, a, as we make this step, when they come in, they need to be taught how we do things here. Because I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons I didn't want to do this, I know you have a building and call it a church, yeah, there's a great stuff God people got to ring, but you get some some crazies, especially being non-denominational, and you get people that are out of order, you get people that are that are just that wanting to come play church and all that. And we need to be intentional about hosting the atmosphere, the culture of authenticity and genuineness that God has given us here. So that not that not that not so that we reject those people. But that those people can come in and by grace be reordered. Does that make sense? Got to be intentional about that. Um, but so I, I want as well. So we're moving off that topic. Um, back to this. Be familiarizing yourselves with Galatians chapters 3, 4, and 5. Romans chapters 3, 5, and 6. Um, because we're going to be, I feel that we're going to be teaching and talking and preaching about righteousness for a while. Just everything that even so far the Lord has, bits of revelation the Lord has been giving me. I mean, we have, there's enough right now for like a six-week series sort of deal. So we're, we're going to be on this topic as long as the Lord wants us to, because it's a really big deal. It's more it's more significant than we realize, and it's more significant than we'll even realize tonight. This is just some of those foundational scratch in the surface of some of this. The reality of this is literally the hinge point of all things. This is, and it's not anything different than beloved identity. The revelation of righteousness is is inside of beloved identity. Does that make sense? So we're gonna we're gonna be in this for a minute. Um, so and tonight like I said I just I'm I'm excited to to just talk, no pressure, not trying to make a, you know, crazy screaming 
meeting or nothing like that. I love it when the, when when God when you know when when the Lord moves like that. I'm excited tonight to just sit here and kind of teach. Um, so let's jump into Romans four. Romans four. We're going to read verses one through eleven. <clears throat> I'm reading out of the Passion. I finally, by the way, thank you. <laughs> Hillary said, thank you. I finally, and this goes for people listening as well. So my beautiful, wonderful wife years ago got me the Passion Translation, but like I've said before, she got me not the pocket size, but the pocket size that goes inside the gene in the pocket, the pocket that's inside of the gene, that's what that Bible fits into. So I could never, it was the smallest thing. I mean, if it would drop. I'm still using my glasses because they don't have large print. Okay. But I finally bought myself one that I can hold without it falling through my fingers. And we are, I, I'm, I'm loving it. I was, I was thinking that God would like move upon some of the hearts of some of the people here and they would buy it for me, but that didn't happen. So I bought it myself. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, but, so, reading out of the Passion. Romans 4. Let me use Abraham as an example. It is clear that, humanly speaking, he was the founder of Judaism. What was his experience of being made right with God? Was it by his good works of keeping the law? No. For if it was by the things he did, he would have something to boast about, but no one boasts before God. Listen to what the scripture says. Because Abraham believed God's words, his faith transferred God's righteousness into his account. When people work, they earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because they earned it. But no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our works, our own works, excuse me, but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. Even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by blood. What happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them. I will never hold, hold your sins against you. Now think about it. Does this happiness come only to the Jews or is it available to all who believe? Our answer is this. Faith was credited to Abraham as God's righteousness. How did he receive this gift of righteousness? Was he circumcised at the time God accepted him? Or was he still uncircumcised? Clearly, he was an uncircumcised Gentile. When God said this of him, it was later that he received the external sign of circumcision as a seal to confirm that God had already transferred his righteousness to him by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
So now this qualifies him to become the father of all who believe among the non-Jewish people. And like their father of faith, Abraham, God also transfers his righteousness to them by faith. This is going to be good tonight. I want us to receive. I'm going to I'm going to read a, a lot of a lot of my, from from my notes tonight. I want us to receive a better definition of righteousness. And by better I mean more biblical. Because most of the teaching we have heard in the American church on righteousness is not biblical. It's based on doing and not being. And like we we've mentioned before, Righteousness has much more to do with being than doing. I need you all to, to, stay, to stay with me tonight. I'm going to be um, teaching, as I said, because we need to lay some groundwork tonight to where we are headed in the weeks ahead on discovering this revelation of righteousness and why it is such a big freaking deal. I've learned... I've learned, and, we, and we've talked about it before, the need for, at, you know, we, we may have two, three, two or three, four, five meetings that are that are just explosion and just wah, blah, 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 and they're awesome. People on the floor, all that. I love it. But then God will kind of, it's not that he stops that, but he shifts it to say, okay, now we, we need to teach and talk about what's happening. And we've talked about the intention behind that. I want to take it a step further because I'm learning now and we were talking about this, me and, me and Preacher Timothy, we were talking about this before. I've learned, I'm learning now that I cannot apostolically or prophetically send somebody into deeper waters of revelation. I, I, I can't send seated sons and daughters at Canaan land over this house. I can't send them into deeper waters of revelation apostolically or prophetically, without giving them a foundation of some sort, of at least an idea of what they're being sent into. Because that the foundation, and it doesn't have to be a deep, crazy, because they're, they're, they're actually meant to be sent and discover new, discover more. But at least some type of groundwork. Because that groundwork, that foundation actually becomes a launching pad to them. You have to know to some degree what you're being launched from to be able to be launched to. And if you don't, and, I, and I've learned even in my own life as well, if you don't have that teaching that doesn't seem crazy spiritual and hypey and all this, that seems kind of academic if you don't have ears to hear and eyes to see, if you don't have that, then what happens is once you are launched, once you are carried and sit into deeper waters of revelations, once you ascend, you're not actually able to sustain the ascension. You can't sustain the, the ascension that God's bringing you to without some sort, some basis, some reference point of teaching. And we're going to we'll, we'll maybe talk about a, a little more of that. But the reason is because it's, it's a place of renewing of the, of the mind. Our mind has to be renewed. We, we, we've talked a lot about that. We're going to talk more tonight uh, briefly about how that is such a big deal in this dimension. I want us to kind of recall just a little bit of what we talked about. Not, not just the last time we're meeting, but we've been talking about 
righteousness for the last couple weeks now. Last longer than last couple weeks, last last couple months. And it kind of started from that place of when we start talking about the reality of realms and dimensions. And learning to live from above and what law are you living under and then finding whole and wholeness. Because we're, we're finding that, that righteousness is a dimension. It's a dimension, it's a place, and it's a person that we've been brought into. Meaning brought into the place and brought into the person. So then we now have to learn to live from this place of existence. Not just from an ideological standpoint of concept but actualize it. Because the imputation of righteousness is, is a doctrinal term. It is a doctrine, the doctrine of the imputation of, of, of God's righteousness. And what we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, about that tonight as well. Um, but we have to have our mind renewed, enlightened by way of encounter so that we can live from encounter. Specifically in this area of righteousness. So, so just moving right along with this. And so what I need tonight is, is for us just to kind of, it might be a little wordy tonight, but I really need you to lock in and follow me. Even if you're like, at one point, I don't know where, how this ties in, it's going to tie in. So I need you to, to stay with me because this is, this affects such a broad spectrum of our existence. So there's some pieces, some exam, examples of life we're going to be pulling into this. I have found, I have found, most do not question God's control. If I was to ask anybody, do you believe God's in control? Most, in, in the church, and I'm, I'm mainly talking to, to us that are born again tonight, most, if not all, would agree God is in control. Even even those of a that are in a religious system, God's on the still on the throne, brother. They believe everybody. If I was to ask, and even those that aren't here that are listening that are a part of Canaanland, if I was to ask you, do you believe God's in control? Most people would fully agree, yes, God's in control. But they question His care. So so most do not question God's control, but they do question His care. I found most do not question God's ability. If I was to ask you, especially us as non-denominational, charismatic, cessationalists, not cessationalists, continualists, believing that the gifts continue and everything, God works miracles, all that. If, if most, especially under, under our understanding of believing the truth that the Spirit of God continues to move, as it did in the early church, do not question God's ability, but do question his affection towards them. If I, was to, if I was to ask you, do you believe God can heal? Of course. But do you believe God loves you enough to heal you? Do you believe God is in control? Yes. But do you believe he cares enough about you that when something may go wrong, are we still in a place to say, I trust not just his control, but I trust his care for me in this? I found many people do not question God's power. God is almighty, all powerful. But they do question his passion for them. 
It does no good. It does no good if there's a God in control, that there's a God who is limitless in his ability, and that that there's a God that is completely all-powerful. If he does not care for us, if he if 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 he does not if his affections aren't toward us and if his passion isn't for us. And like we've discussed before about how our lens in which we see by becomes the law by which we live by and how our perspective perspective determines our reality. Our experiences in life, positive and negative, can change our perception of life and can dictate how we process information and experiences. Many times we take our internal brokenness and we project it outwards as it relates to how we see God, how we see everything else, every, including ourselves. I had an encounter when me and preach something went down to, to Mobile, which I don't know if we're if we're if we'll be able to make it down um, in in August. Depends on how this goes with the new building and all. But I had, I had an encounter last time we were at we were in, when we went down with Apostle Damon in Mobile, and obviously me and Ellie had just you know went through what we went through and all. There's some heartache and all that stuff going on. And still is to a degree. Um, and my feelings weren't weren't there. My affection, my feelings, and all that necessarily weren't where they needed to be. I wasn't feeling much other than other than just just hurt. But this is why you also can't be led by your by your feelings. Because in the process of sanctification, in the process of growth, in the process of maturity, there are times that I'm not one to say disregard feelings. Obviously, we, we go into that here in encounter. But understand there are parts of our feelings that may be may, that, that while they're still uncircum while they're still unsanctified can lead us astray. So there's times if God says something, you may not feel like you want to do it. But if God says something, there you, we have to come to the place of maturity to say that my feelings are saying one thing, but I can't, I can't base my decisions off feelings. I need to base my decision off what he has just told me. And he had told, told us for, for me to go down there. So I'm down there, down there mobile, first night worshiping and everything. My, I'm not really being able to engage much at the heart level. Just, just in the place of vulnerability and all. See, my, I'm not in a place of awesome affection and love and all that being expressed emotionally. Because emotionally, I, I was still hurting. wasn't mad at God or anything like that, but it was just um, there was an emotional weight. During worship, Jesus walks out on 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 the platform. Walks out, and I'm watching him, and I look around. Does anybody else see him? And and he's enjoying the worship. Huge smile on the face. Enjoying the worship. And I'm looking around because I'm thinking how... Screw this. I'm going for him. He just showed up. I can, I can visibly see him. I'm going. I don't care. 
I, I understand there are some big, there are some people there that hold a lot of authority in the kingdom that I would never dishonor or go up against. But when Jesus stands up there, I'm pushing everybody aside and I'm going to that. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, I can't, how do I get, I can't get up there. I physically, there's so many people here. I physically cannot get through to him. But I, but I, but I knew, I, I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not missing a moment like this when Jesus just shows up. Because that's a big deal. So I, I just, I just begin to pray. Because I thought, well, he can still hear me. So I begin to pray and it was, whew, he comes off the stage, whew, right there, me and him are right there. And, and I sat there and I, and I didn't know really what to say. I didn't have a lot of words. I just, I said, Jesus, I've missed you. I said, because it, it's been a while. It's been a while since I've, since I've been able to see you. If it's, I mean, a week, a month, two, six months, that's, that's too long for me. And it'd been a while since Jesus physically has shown up to me. I said, Jesus, it's, I've missed you. It's, it's been a while. And he said, I've been here all along. And I said, well, I haven't seen you. And he said something to me. That, to be honest, I'm still processing it. And, and has shifted and is shifting. It's very simple. But it's shifting my and renewing my mind and shifting paradigms for me. He said... I said, I haven't seen you. I said, well, I haven't seen you. And he said, clear as day. He said, in a very soft and tender tone, he said, pain has a way of changing our perspective. I said, I haven't seen you. There's been a lot going on, Jesus. And I I haven't felt you because my feelings are hurt right now. I can't feel much anyway. And and I haven't heard you because there's so many thoughts going through my mind right now. I can't even, I can't, I feel like I can't even hear you. I said, God, but I needed it at the very least for you to show up. You've done it before. I need it. And it's, it's been a while. And then we were going through something right now. And I, I need you, right? I need you. And he said, I've been there the whole time. I said, I did not see you. My perspective did not acknowledge the truth that was there. And he, not in a condemning way, not in, not in an anger way or anything, he said, he just clears day. He said, yeah, pain has a way of changing our perception. Our perspective, excuse me, our perspective. And after that, I just, I, I broke. And I heard a man say once, stay, staying with this, I, I heard a man say once, years ago, he said, God created man in his image and we return the favor. See, a lot of times our like 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 I said, our lens, if we're not careful, we will create laws out of our lens. So our perspective of pain, we will reproduce a false reality of it. And I heard a man say once, he said that God created man in his image. And man returned the favor. What he means by that is that God created man in his image, which is true. But what man has done is try to recreate the image and face of God in ours, in our image. That we return the favor. And and what that's saying, it's it's kind of a sarcastic way of, of saying that what we do, we project our image onto God. That we think he's like us. 
as it relates to our brokenness, as it relates to all of that, our, our perspective of pain in a, in a middle of a circumstance or anything, we take that as truth and then we paint the face of God as that. Your theology, like I said, it, I need you just to track with me. It'll, it'll, it'll make sense. Your theology will determine your anthropology. So anthropology is the study of human societies and cultures and their development. So anthropology is literally the study of humanity, our behavior, not from a scientific standpoint, but from a society standpoint. Different cultures, everything, different societies, different cultures and in, 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 in all around the world and different groups of people and everything. That's, there, there's anthropologists that literally go into these other cultures and third world countries and even, even you know, not even in first world countries, second world countries and study their behavior, study their, their cultural, study their, their rituals and study all that. And I've learned that our theology will determine our anthropology. That how we view God will, in a lot of ways, will dictate how we view one another. And not just one another on a small level, but one another on an on a level of anthropology anthropology as it relates to a, a cultural level, a level of society. That the way we our society will run is based upon how we view our theology, how we view God on a small level. If we believe God is one way as a father and, and is called a father to us, then we, in some aspects, will treat our children in that same manner. Which in a lot of ways is, not, is, is, is bad because we think God does bad things. If I put it like this, I remember there was a time and there's still sometimes that I'm still in a process of, of coming into a place of maturity, of freedom from and everything. But especially early on in mine and Ellie's marriage, there would be, I would go through seasons, weeks at a time where I would nitpick her to death. I'm talking crazy analytical. She could do 10 things right. She'd do one small thing wrong. I would make it the biggest deal in the world. And the Lord told me one night and showed me, he said, you do this to her because you think I do this to you. He said, you keep nitpicking her because you think I'm looking at you saying, yeah, you did 10 things right, but you did this one thing wrong and I'm really ticked off about that. He said, you still are viewing perfection as right doing instead of complete wholeness. You still view perfection as an external effort on your end instead of an internal reality of complete wholeness. So grow that then to hundreds and thousands of people on the earth in, in a society how do you think they're going to respond to one another? 
Your theology will determine your anthropology. Humanity through the fall, stay with me here, humanity through the fall lost the sight and knowledge of the nature of the triune God. And Jesus came to redeem and restore us in knowing his Father as he knows his Father and the Spirit and invites us through salvation to take sides with him in how we see his Father and also how we see ourselves, how we view our life, how we view our family, how we view others that that we meet, our neighbors, how we view society as a whole. He invites us through a process of discovery that redefines every part of our existence. Through salvation, we've received adoption as God's very own sons and daughters, but the working of redemption or righteousness does not stop there. Again, Jesus invites us, I want us to hear this, Jesus invites us also to take sides with him in how we see his Father. That through salvation has now become our Father. I remember years ago I heard a man say once, he said, do you believe everything that Jesus did in his life on earth through the incarnation, his 33 and a half years, of ministry of life on earth, do you believe every single bit of it was for our justification of as we know it? My response was yes, which is, is newsflash, spoiler alert, not true. He said, then what about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples? If it's all just about forgiveness of sins as we know it from an external morality behavior standpoint there is no need for jesus to wash his disciples feet there's no need for jesus to say suffer not the little ones to come unto me there is no need for jesus to attend a wedding there is no need for jesus to live an example of life that the scriptures actually tell us, if you actually study it, the scripture tells us that he had more joy. This is what the Bible says, that Jesus had more joy than all of his, than, than all of his companions. I don't know about you, but I, especially early on, I didn't view Jesus' life on earth as a joyful one. I didn't view him at, that, that he was on earth laughing and smiling and dancing. I didn't view that. I viewed it a very robotic, emotionally distant Jesus on earth because that's who I believed God was. But if everybody's just for our justification, why did he wash? Why would he do these other things? Because he was doing more than just getting us forgiveness of sins. He was showing us who the Father is. He was showing his disciples, gets down to wash their feet. And Peter said, I, you, I need to wash your feet. Jesus says, yeah, I need to wash your feet because if not, you'll have no part with me. Summarizing his statement there, but that's what he says. If not, you'll have no part with me. What is he saying? Not just from a place of salvation. He's saying, because I want you to participate in my life which is the relationship that I have with my Father, which is what righteousness is. 
So he's telling Peter, yeah, I know. But what I'm trying to get you to see is another side of the Father. Because I know him in a way that you don't know him. I want I, we, we need to read this, but Jesus would come on the scene. In a third in his 30s. You gotta let's just talk plain for a minute. A 30-year-old man comes on the scene in Jerusalem and says to the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the church leaders of that day, in the in crazy antiquity and history of honorable saints in the Old Testament, of Moses and all that, and get stand there and say, Yeah. No man has seen or knows the Father except me. You've got, you've, you're, okay, Moses. The Bible would say Moses stood face to face and spoke to God in Exodus and spoke to God as a man speaks to a friend. And you've got these religious leaders that, that have given their life to follow the pattern in, in a lot of ways, rightfully so, but has pushed over in, into some idolatry of worship of the patriarchs. But you've got patriarchal saints. And Jesus is going to walk up, yeah, none of y'all have ever seen him. I'm sure their response would have been, have you not read your Bible? Exodus tells us that Moses stood there at the tent of meetings. And talked, yeah. Jesus is letting him know, my definition of seeing, I've seen so much about the Father, his nature, his character, his love, his life, his existence. I've seen so much of him. And I know him so well that what you call seeing and knowing compared to what I see and know cannot even be classified as seeing and knowing. So Jesus is doing more than just showing us or, or saving us. He's showing us. Does that make sense? So Jesus invites us, even after salvation, to take sides with him in how we see his father. That through being born again has now become our father. So that we may engage in this right relationship which is what being made righteous in and through Jesus means. With God, that we have been brought into by way of grace. And it's not based on external efforts on our end, but the efficacy of the cross of Jesus that produces a right internal perspective within us. Again, we're laying some, some foundational groundwork here. What do I mean by, by that last sentence? I mean, through the incarnation of Jesus, incarnation being Jesus entering into flesh, the incarnation of Jesus and him going to the cross, he got inside our darkness to light it up with his life in us. And our only contribution to that was to kill him. Our only contribution... In that was the fact that we needed Satan. This is what Paul's telling us here. He's hammering the fact of, hey, it's not by your works of righteousness. It's through the incarnation. 
and through the cross of Jesus, he, this, this is why John would tell us in John 1 that his life, that the life was the light of men. That verse has bugged me for years. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was God. Same thing in the beginning with God. John says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I've read over that thousands of times of almost 10 years. And I can say, as of just now, I'm starting to understand what, what that means. That, his, that Jesus' life was light to all men. And that the life that entered into the men, the same life that has entered into us, is meant to light up and become the light. And what, it, what does that mean when Jesus is talking about his life? His existence as what we've talked about, beloved identity. His existence as the beloved of the Father. His existence as being in right relationship with his Father and the Spirit that we have been brought into. I heard a man, never mind. I'll say it. I heard a man say once that he could argue, and you can. I don't want this to throw anybody off because it, it threw me off. I heard a man say once a while back, he could argue, and you can argue, that we actually don't, even us that are saved, we don't have a relationship with God. That nobody has a relationship with God. That what we have, is the relationship that Jesus has with his father. Which, ex exegetically speaking, is true. And it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. Our relationship with God is not one based on us. Our relationship with God, with the father, is the relationship that Jesus had and currently has with his father that we've been brought into. So back to our notes. And even after salvation, if we don't continue to journey with Jesus down the road of discovery, we then carry our broken lenses and perspectives of pain and darkness and stay believing God is in control but questioning his care. As we said earlier, we, we will believe God is able but still question his affection toward us. We will believe he is all-powerful, but continue to question his passion and love for us. The questions, those questions will become variables in the formulas we try to create in our effort to figure out life. Believing that those variables can change at any time and the floor can just drop out from under us. We will look to ourselves for the for answers, for the answers of stability. We will try to change ourselves externally into a posture that we believe is pleasing to God, that we think will grant us blessing and favor. And in doing so, what we are saying is that we believe we can change God, which is not so like we've talked about before. When Adam fell in the garden, who changed? Adam. 
Not God. God did not change in the fall. God did not get mad at Adam and therefore all of humanity and turn his back. That's not what happened at all. Adam changed as a result of the fall of all humanity in the garden. Not God. As I said, he lost sight of who God is, who God was. I mean, even right after the fall, if you read it, right after the fall, they're hiding. What, what does God do? And when I say God, I mean Father, Son, Spirit in one. They come. Adam, where are you? For one, they knew. They knew where he was. Where are you? What, what is he doing? That's a conversation of relationship. That's an invitation to say, hey, come here. Let's talk. God didn't walk on the scene as this controlling, omnipresent being with an iron fist and say, I know what you've done. You are horrible. No, he said, hey, Adam, come here. Come here, man. Let, let, let's talk. Where, where are you with this? Like we talked about before, where, where are you? And right after the fall, God comes looking for Adam and Eve. And what does he do? God's very next act, God actually made them close. God actually, he just... Adam just effed up all of humanity. And what does God do? Let's talk, Adam. If I'm God, no, it's scratch it. Snap the fingers, make it, pull, pull up Marvel's movie. Y'all see Marvel's where the, what's Thanos? He like snaps his finger and like half the population leaves. If I'm God and that happens, snap the fingers, make Adam and Eve disappear from all of existence and let's start over with this thing. And, and as the, the God that we've been portraying him to be, that's what he should have done. The God that religion has said he is, that's what he should have done. Not to say, hey, come here, let's talk. Not to say, hey, yeah, we're going to grab some animals and, and we're going we're gonna to skin them and all that and we're going to make you some good. No, 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 no. But that's what he does. See, and the religious spirit comes in and enforces this delusion. And we create doctrines out of our internal darkness that we project onto God. And we trumpet it as truth. We have to be willing to relinquish our old inferior realities. Truths that we have believed and constructed a lot of times as a consequence of our worlds being wrecked and ravished by the pain in our past that we've experienced that came on to us by darkness, that Jesus came with his Father and the Spirit to rescue us from and dare to believe truth himself. Like we've talked about, truth is not just a statement. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person of Jesus we have to dare to believe truth himself, Jesus, to allow him to rewrite and redefine what it means to live now in this new life that we have been brought into with him and leave every piece of leaven of the fallen nature and darkness that came upon us through the fall of Adam. Listen to me, you can't be who you are. You can't be who you are until you know who you are. 
You can't be who you are until you know who you are. And you can't, you can't know who you are until you know whose you are. Because whose you are has actually produced your identity. This is the path of beloved identity. So Romans 4, verse 4. Romans 4, verse 4 says, When people work, they earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because they earned it. But no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works, but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. 